Greetings. You have entered Lorenlu's cave. Deep in the ground, the universal unconscious lies waiting to expose its secrets. The cave has, from the inception of humankind, enticed, mesmerized. It has been protective shelter, spiritual temple, keeper of sacred images, rituals, and lastly, burial chamber. The sixth episode is on the topic of reincarnation, starting a new life in a different body. What Buddhism refers to as a sansara doctrine of cyclic existence. Many, many religions and philosophic groups adhere to this belief. These Indians, the Greeks, Plato, Socrates, Voltaire, Goethe, Tolstoy, the Celtics, some Orthodox Jewish streams, Native Americans North and South, and of course the Dalai Lama, but not Christians or Muslims. It has been suggested that you can find evidence of it in your dreams, especially recurring dreams, or you may have a dream about a location or place you know you have visited, yet you've never heard of it or remembered it. I once had a dream in which the Hindu god Ganesha, the elephant-headed deity, appeared. The dream held no special significance to me. I knew nothing about Ganesha and had never given it a more than cursory thought. Having since looked him up, the god is particularly revered by Indians as a remover of obstacles, a patron of the arts, the god of beginnings. Is this something I experienced in another life? Then birthmarks, birth defects, and unexplained phobias are said to probably have been acquired in another time in history. Also, natural gifts in children and extraordinary talents were perhaps honed in several different lifetimes. Old blood and guts General Patton believed that in a past life he had been a Viking warrior who died in battle and was escorted to Valhalla. Even Ben Franklin, looking at it from a parsimonious perspective, is said to have opined that when I see nothing annihilated in the works of God and not a drop of water wasted, I cannot suspect annihilation of the souls. We are reborn. A part of self is ancient, has seen and knows it all. It is the wise guide that, if we care to listen, directs our life on its true path. Whence did it originate? In this podcast, I will present a story that relates to that phenomena and is somewhat indicative of reincarnation and also a near-death experience that brought that prospect into sharp focus. Herman Hesse's The Glass Bead Game, his last and Nobel Prize-winning book, written in the 60s, unfolds in the 23rd century. 
The main character belongs to a powerful organization named Castalia. Its purpose is scholarship, and its members, similar to religious monastery clergy, do not involve themselves in matters of the world and do not marry. Rather, they devote their lives to the higher purpose of knowledge. As students, every year they are required to write an autobiographical life, a story of someone they have created. These are book-length research stories set in an era of their choosing. Lorraine Lou was intrigued. The following was a brief sketch similar to Hess's autobiographical life she created after reading the book. The year is 1686. The journey took us three months. Crossing the Alps in winter, our caravan, a half mile and long, carrying all the necessities of a 20-person dance troupe, our servants, delegates, and diplomats. It took a half year of preparation. The logistics alone of maneuvering our way from Tuscany to the court of Louis XIV in Versailles was monumental, finding inns along the way to house and feed us, to get comparable fresh horses, having to circumvent towns in the throes of the Black Death. We did reach our destination, having lost the all-important steward Ansaldo Gonzaga and my beloved lady-in-waiting, Domicilla di Sabidini. I am an artist and have performed for Ferdinand II of the Holy Roman Empire, for Gustavus Adolphus of Sweden, the Spanish King Philip IV, and the English King William III of Orange. Let me introduce myself. I am Giola, named by my father, Cosima II, of the illustrious house of Medici, Poco Giello, little jewel, a bastard child whose mother, the courtesan Tullia d'Aragona, died giving birth to a stillborn male sibling. My father loved me. This afforded me some protection in the scheming Medici court. I saw the great dancer Maria Isabella perform at court when I was seven years old, and it made a great impression. I asked father if I might apprentice myself to her, and he agreed. That was many years ago. Father is long dead, and I have survived court intrigue without his protection by being of use. This last appointment to the French court of Louis the Sun King has been the honor tapping my career. The troop left without me as I will not make the arduous journey back to Tuscany. I am, as the French say, at 40, a woman of a certain age who has had a good fortune of falling in love with Vicomte de Turenne, Louis' great general, and Marechaux de France. Like mother, I have chosen to become his paramour. He is at times out of favor with the court because he doesn't like to become involved in their politics. Louis tolerates this because he is feisty and a brilliant general who has conquered many lands for the king. I care only for love and avoid court and its cabals. I've had my share of intrigue in Tuscany. The French, you know can be quite nasty.
A note on Lorraine Liu's simulated autobiography. At the age of 15, fresh out of convent, she went to a dance hall with girlfriends on a Saturday night, the Jacques Cartier Hall. And there she did something so out of character, so incredible, she was mortified. Lorraine got up and on the dance floor and unbidden performed a sensuous and suggestive dance. A crowd gathered round her, clapping hands, keeping time. What possessed her? She had no idea. Dance is an integral part of her life. She often breaks into dance at home to release pent-up energy, to celebrate. Does her giallo story indicate the possibility of a past life as a dancer? The Buddhist belief system of karma and reincarnation is quite similar to shamanic journeying to upper and lower worlds. The out-of-body experiences, the animals, the divas, the different levels of or spheres have all been repeated by other cultures. After the vision quest, Le and Lu also sought out to learn something of others who have taken similar spiritual journeys. She explored the nature-based spirituality of witchcraft in its present modern Wicca manifestation. There are celebrations of the eight witches' sabbats, the turning of the wheel, as it is called, which occurs at times of seasonal change. One celebrates the solstices, the equinoxes, the cycle of planting seeds, harvests, the approaching darkness and cold. Celebrating the Sabbaths is a meaningful experience, a time to ponder the harvest one has reaped come autumn, celebrating a renewed sexual energy in spring, acknowledging loss on Hallow's Eve and the returning sun god at Yule, the winter solstice. She also studied with the anthropologist and renowned shaman Michael Harner, who taught her how to journey to other worlds. She attempted to connect with the spirit guide that first appeared to her and announced it was the ruler of her life, the eagle. At first, she was not able to visualize the eagle. Other birds kept coming in sight. Then several things happened. She was taken to view herself on her daily run. Then she stood with Eagle on a sheer cliff where she imagined its nest was, and together they flew off the cliff into the void. Lorraine could see nothing but sky. There was nothing under them as far as she could see. She felt tremendous joy flying in the great unknown. The last thing she was shown was a couple of reels of film in a wicker bag. Make yourself strong was the message given. Learn to enjoy your ability to perform in situations that are unknowable. The following is an account of a ride Lorraine Lou took to an unexpected destination. Driving a friend home one morning after having spent a weekend with Lorraine, The road was covered with five or six inches of slush from an overnight snow and sleet storm. She noticed the car began to sway. It was a VW bug with a solid underbody and the wind was causing it to hydroplane. It was floating a few inches off the ground, gliding over to the other side of the road. 
and oncoming cars zigzagged crazily to avoid collision. No matter which way she turned the wheel, whether her foot was on the gas pedal, the brake, or even the handbrake, it made absolutely no difference to the flying machine. Lorraine frantically pumped, turning the wheel, trying everything she could think of. And then she stopped it. It was hopeless. A peace came over her, and she noticed also to her friend. They were in a trance. Lorraine watched as the car slid back over to the right side, heading straight for a precipice. Her life did not pass in front of her. As she focused on the tar road, a phrase kept repeating itself in her mind. This is it. This is it. This is it. She wasn't at all sorry to be dying. Her only concern was the possible painful impact on her body. Death was an old friend. She understood that it was an experience she had undergone many times. Whatever one encountered afterwards was pleasurable. It was life itself that was the horror, a daily living abomination. From the moment of birth to the dying breath was a stressful, anxious quest with no possibility of relief. It was life on earth. Lorraine had never thought of these things before, and reincarnation was not part of her belief system. She and the friend were saved by a big rock that lodged itself underneath the car and stopped it from going over the precipice. Cautiously stepping out of the balancing car, she found she could not walk. Her legs would not hold her up. It was to have been a quick ride to drop her friend off, and Lorraine hadn't bothered to dress, still in her nightgown and a flimsy slippers. She made her way across the road in slush up to her calves to a house and called for help. After the friend's brother came to fetch her, the tow truck pulled Lorraine's car from the edge of the precipice. It was placed facing back in the direction of her home. She now had to gather her courage, get back in the car for the fearful drive home. What is awareness, consciousness? There are no words to accurately describe it. The ego, with its monumental stake in its classification system, has the task of defining it. Do the trees have consciousness, a soul? Yes, perhaps they are even wiser than humans. Judging the world according to human beings' ability to control it cannot produce an accurate picture. Animals are stupid, really seduced, or killed and devoured. Fish aren't even capable of feeling. Yet tribal people are able to communicate with all these forms of life. But they're stupid too, aren't they? Or they would have evolved beyond their circular units of self-governance. At a conference at the University of Maine at Orono, a Native American woman spoke about what she saw as a real avoidance by white people to touch ground. She spoke about skyscrapers, planes, automobiles, and platform shoes. You are above and beyond it, she said. The world you have created is not grounded. I will let Crazy Horse have the last words on this topic.
One day I will leave this world and dream myself to reality, he said. Thanks for listening. You're welcome to visit my website, loveandlou.com, where you can leave feedback in the journal page.